You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Rua Space Podcast, where we help you make space for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in your everyday life. I'm Phil, and today I am really excited to be joined by Andrew Bauman. But before we dive into that conversation, I am really excited to announce that we have opened up Spiritual Direction Spiritual Coaching. Now, Spiritual Direction is rooted in the belief that God is still speaking into our lives today through scripture, through prayer, but also through what we're feeling, through our life experiences, through other people, through so many avenues. And the question, as always, is, are we listening? So in Spiritual Direction, we explore your story, where God may have spoken in the past, where God may be speaking today, and what the invitations of God may look like walking forward, discussing different spiritual practices, ultimately just walking together on this faith journey so that you can grow deeper in your connection to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So if that's something that sounds interesting to you, I highly recommend check out the link in the description below where you can inquire. We set up a free phone call just to discuss spiritual direction and what it might look like for you. Also, friends, we are coming up on our 200th podcast episode here at Rua Space, which is really exciting. And we want to say thank you for all of your support. But we also have a an ask for you, friends. We have a Patreon page. And this is a place where for just $5 a month, you can help support this ministry as well as gain access to exclusive content. So if you've been blessed by this ministry, if you've enjoyed these podcast episodes, we would love if you would consider helping to support it, to keep the microphone on, to keep the ministry going, to keep reaching people with this good news. You can also find the link to Patreon below and gain access to live events, exclusive podcast episodes, and some really fun series. So with that, friends, thank you again. Again, for being here today. Here is my conversation with Andrew Bauman. Andrew, welcome to the Rua Space podcast. I've loved your work and I'm really excited to get to chat with you today. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for the invite. Glad to be glad to be here. Of course. So for those of you who are listening and may not know Andrew, uh, he wrote this book a while back called Stumbling Toward Wholeness. And it, it really it really spoke to me because as someone who has uh, dug into Bible study and such for a long time, you really brought a unique perspective to this book that we're going to be talking about. But you've also written a number of other books and you do some really cool work. So can you just kind of introduce a little of who you are and, and what you do? Yeah, yeah. My wife and I run the Christian Counseling Center for Sexual Health and Trauma, and uh, we work on the East Coast and West Coast. And uh, yeah, just work, work kind of in that intersection. And then my heart for theology and psychology, sometimes there's, it's hard to translate, right, to bridge that gap. And so this book particularly was one of my favorites, it took about three years to write. And yet to take a classic parable, like the parable of the prodigal, and make it actually useful for our own transformation and our own healing was the goal. And uh, I think I, I think I accomplished that. Yeah, no, absolutely. When you've written some <laughs> other really great books around grief and lament and such as well, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. We have a, a, a book and a film about the loss of our son called A Brave Lament. Um, and then I've written some works on sexuality and what, what sexual health is. Um, and also have a, a children's book on how to talk to your kids about addiction. 
Oh, so. nice. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. So, so in light of all of that, what drew you then to this parable, the prodigal son specifically? Yeah, I think it was, it was literally on the front lines of working with people every day and realizing that they were having a hard time, um, the, the translation piece of, of how do I actually change? What does change look like? Uh, on a psychological level, but also a theological level. And I just really resonated with uh, Henry Nouwen's work, um, The Return of the Prodigal, of, of we are all three characters of the story. And so that was kind of the, the beginning, the genesis of my thought life of how do I bring this parable? Because I just kept being reminded of it as I worked with clients. Man, what it helped set, set me up as a therapist to kind of, okay, what realm are they in? What, you know, what stage are they in? What are they wrestling with now? Are they trying to come back home? Are they struggling with shame? Are they struggling with self-hatred? Um, and, and it was, it was helpful for me to put them in a, in a sense, a category to help me organize my thought life as I worked on, uh, you know, their treatment. Yeah. And, and you do it really, really well, because like I said, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to study this parable, read all the books, you know, Kenneth Bailey, right. And um, all the commentaries and these things, and you really brought a unique perspective into it by bringing it into where do these characters exist in each one of us. So we're going to look a little bit at Bible stuff, but um, in this conversation, we're also going to be diving into our, our story, right? And, and this yeah. is ultimately about healing, not just gaining more, you know, head knowledge about a Bible story. Correct. Exactly. The story of the prodigal, it's a story about all of us, right? It's the story of us all. Um, I am the young, the younger son. I am the runaway. I am the, the judgmental elder brother. And my goal is to be like the father, right? So each character of the parable is alive in us. Um, They're constantly at work in us, constantly, in a sense, wrestling for supremacy and and moving towards transformation, moving towards being more like the father, but embodied within me. Yeah. You know, before we get into each character, I'd like to read a quote from the book and talk yeah. a little bit about it because you know you are a therapist coming to to the scripture and so there's this sense in which we um or you are inviting us to look inward and i know that for a lot of people that can feel self-serving or self-centered yes. like well what does that have to do with god and at one point you wrote you said I found on my own healing path that by bringing a posture of prayerful contemplation to the process of self-examination, I come to know God much more fully and intimately. God is in us. Yeah. Could that just be a launching point? Can you just share with us the importance yeah. of looking inward? Yeah. Well, you know, it's not just some pop pop psychology, right? It's not some um, new age mumbo jumbo you know, it's going from Corinthians 13, five. Um, do you not recognize this about yourself that Jesus Christ is in you or, you know, Galatians 1 15, um, God was pleased to reveal his son in me. God is in our bodies, right? Jesus is in our bodies. So what are you going to do with that? Like, what are you going to do that? God is in us. The Imago Dei, we bear God's image. Um, I want to take that seriously. I want to have a faith that is embodied, that God is in me. Um, And if that's our starting point, I think it changes the way we live. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. When we all have a story, right? We all have life experience that shapes 
who we are today and how we are going to walk forward. And I, I guess that must be the, 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 the name of the book then being stumbling toward wholeness in, in light of our stories. Why did you pick that title for this book? Yeah, I think it encapsulated this, this journey is not a straight line, you know, uh, about 17 years ago, I was in a psychiatric ward contemplating ending my life. Um, you know, I mean, this, this journey for me is one of blood. It's one of crucifixion. Um, and yet now I am tasting much more resurrection because I think I've been a good steward of my pain, a good steward of my, of my story. And yet it's not, you know, what, what are that saying? Bubble gum and hula hoops or something, you know, right, it's rainbows not and unicorns. There, there you go. That's the one, <laughs> you know, it's, it, I like it, yours better. <laughs> Bubble gum, <that's> <laughs> yeah. It, it's, you know, to taste resurrection, we must enter crucifixion. And um, I felt like that name stumbling towards wholeness really fits that. I think that's pretty countercultural, right? Isn't everything in our world set up to uh, keep us from feeling pain? Yes, yes. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't like pain. Yeah. Right. And so a lot of times I, you know, if I'm not aware of that, I can set up my life in a way where I try to avoid pain. And yet it's in the pain so much that we learn. It's in the pain that I think we know God, know Christ, follow in his footsteps much more fully. And so to learn how to make peace with death, to make peace with pain is, is a noble pursuit and yet incredibly difficult. So why is it so good to enter into it? Why, why is our pain the place where we end up meeting God? Yeah, I think it comes from this desperation, right? It comes from this, like, I need to trust God or I will die. Like, it's a desperation that I find much more hope. And I actually can find that I trust God more fully rather than when I have it all together. Mm. Which is so, I, I mean, even, even we can point at culture and say, you know, we're taught to medicate through so many different yes. things to avoid. Yeah. And of course, we're not, we're not downplaying here the importance of medication when we actually need it. By, by medicate, I mean, we are covering over things so that we don't need to feel them, which can be binge watching Netflix, right? Or, or yes. it doesn't even have to be alcohol. It could be sugar. It could be, it could be anything yes. where we we run away and then we miss yes. the real life stuff, but it even happens in the church. Hey, if you're saved, you should just be okay. The pain, exactly. God just makes it go away. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's what, you know, we'll just jump in. That's the, the, one of the main uh, roles of the sun realm of, do you remember the, the runaway son? He goes and I, and the way I frame it is addiction. He goes and he uses, he consumes, he looks for ways to escape his pain um, he runs from goodness and he wrestles with shame, self-contempt, but addiction to me. And that's my own story as well of 13 years addiction of, to pornography and objectifying women and basically looking for ways to run from my story, which was uh, the, my own sexual abuse, my own um, divorce of my parents, my father's infidelity and, and nothing talked about, nothing addressed in my family of origin. And so running to look for things to soothe, look for things to, to help my anxiety, look for ways to numb my pain rather than running towards my pain, facing my father, facing the numbness of my mother. These are painful things that I had to grieve, that I had to feel my way through and grieve my way through. 
Um, but those are really distinctions of that first son realm. Are you being like the younger son? How are you being like the younger son? Yeah. And you named shame as one of the mm-hmm. major components of that. Can you take us deeper into yeah. shame? And, yeah. And so where I get that category is when, when the son returns home, you know, if you remember um, in Luke, I don't know the exact verse, it's, you know, 15, 20 or 17, something like that. But he runs um, to his father and he says, make me one of your hired servants or another word is slave right? Uh, Make me your slave. He's like bartering with his dad to make him a slave, even though he took a third of the the estate, right? He'd never be able to work (laughs) enough. He'd never be able to work enough to repay his debt. And yet that's what he does. He's he's saying, you know, I'm a piece of crap, right? Like, let me pay off the debt. Um, I have so much shame for my decisions. Um, Make me a slave, beating myself up. And that to me, reminds me so much of what we do to try to earn God's favor through our self-hatred, right? We confuse humility with self-contempt and we beat ourselves up to somehow try to taste redemption. Mm. And that's just not how grace works. That's not how the father works. He actually throws a wild party um, for the celebration, complete opposite of shame and self-contempt. Yeah. And you, you know, you, you brought up Renee Brown in the book and she's sort of become Mm -hmm. the one we all go to when we're talking about shame, right? The, the Mm -hmm. feeling that if someone knows the truth about us, we won't be loved, right? That we're unlovable. And so Mm -hmm. what the son is doing is self-defense, right? Yes. Yes. Right. Right. Guarding his heart. Definitely. And we all do that. We all turn yes. this on. And so we, we do it because we're, we're afraid we're going to really be seen, right? So the son makes this yeah. big mistake. He runs away. Basically, he tells the father he wishes he was dead. And now right. he's coming home. And I don't know. It yes. makes sense to be a little scared. Oh, I imagine he was terrified, right? And, and so much of us were terrified of connection. We're terrified of genuine intimacy. So we sabotage that, right? We run we run from that because we're so scared of that. Like he's actually terrified of his father's wild love. Mm. Um, and that's what makes kind of the scandalous um, grace of the father so beautiful in the story. Yeah. But the, the problem, of course, when we do that, we don't just defend ourselves from uh, the difficult things, but we also yes. cut off all the good potential too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Grief and joy are on a continuum. Right. Mm-hmm. So the, the deeper we learn to grieve is the deeper we'll joy. Mm-hmm. Right. You can't have one without the other. And so if you can honor the pain and enter into the pain, you will not be in that numb middle space. You will actually have a much fuller idea of what it means to be human. So what would you say then to someone who maybe says, yeah, but my father isn't like the father of this story. Mine won't run for me. I, every time I've opened up, I've just been, I've just been harmed. So I'm, I'm not doing of that course. again. Yeah. And so that's why, you know, we're not necessarily talking about your earthly parents, your earthly father. That's why you have boundaries. You guard yourself. I'm talking about the internal voice within you. What is the father's voice in you? Do you have a voice of self-contempt? Do you have a voice of, of radical acceptance and kindness? Um, like, what is the father in you? So, yes, if your father is, you know, or mother is careless with your story 
and does not hold it with soft hands. Um, yeah, they, you don't cast your pearls before swine, right? Like mm-hmm. keep your story as a pearl, honor your story and, and bring it to people who will be safe with you. But you have to be first safe with yourself. What's the first step for that? How, how do we, how do mm-hmm. we practically begin that? Yeah. Well, obviously reading good books, like the one we're talking about today, yeah, um, absolutely diving into good podcasts like yours. Um, but yeah, beginning to, I know for me, the doorway is writing, you know, of beginning to write your own story, beginning to really connect the dots to the why, uh, um, how God is the author, the co-author of our story. And so that is a good entry point um, mm-hmm. into that, into that work. How do you self-reflect? How do you know God more fully through knowing yourself more fully? If, you know, God is truth. So the more we can live in truth and tell the truth, the more we can know God. So what's so important about sharing our story? Because I know you, you just, we've, we've said, said this word story a lot. And did you, did you attend the Seattle school? I did. Mm-hmm. Okay, so did I. And so that is a um, that is a word we are both very familiar with. But when we yeah. say story to people and entering into story, um, journaling about our story, what exactly is it that we're saying? Yeah, to me, it's it's knowing where you come from and why you come from, right? So knowing knowing your birth story. Do you know your birth story? Do you know? kind of the tensions that were going on in your family when you entered the world, all these things uh, impacts how we grow up, right? Our family dynamics, family of origin. Do you know, or do you just kind of live blindly? Oh, it's, this is just kind of the way it is. No, it's never the way it is. Like what, what is the story behind the story? The, the, the story behind what, what the family's not talking about. And so it's just self-reflection work, right? It's just the, the, diving into um, your own life so you can make sense of your life. And there's something powerful when we can begin to name those stories, when we can begin to understand, man, this is why, this is why that makes me feel that, that pain in my chest. That's why I respond in these situations in that way. Exactly. And and, and unprocessed trauma is always reenacted, right? So we're always redoing the same old scripts over and over and over. So if we can process trauma, both capital T trauma and lower T trauma, then we can stop the, the cycles from continue, continuing and we can do it differently. We can choose different stories to live by and uh, different actions rather than that's just re, re, reenacting um, the trauma. Right. And in doing that, it seems then to, to bring it back to shame, it's like we begin to understand why we think someone may not love us for that, where that yes. pain comes from. And then rather than assuming that's how God must feel or that's how others are going to also engage with us, maybe we're offered an alternative. But it's like until yes. we can name the fact that that's why we're doing it, you know, we, 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 it's almost like we can't be bold with it, but we also don't really know how to be safe with it either. It's like, we don't actually yeah. know how to engage it. We're just kind of, we're actually open to the most pain. I feel like if we don't even know our own story at all. Yeah. We're just living blindly, right? We, do, we, we, we see the car, but we don't know what's under the hood. Mm. And so that's what this, this type of work is. Can you know what's under the hood? And, and I think it's knowing God more fully through knowing ourselves more fully because God is in us. And when we enter into that, it's going to be hard. 
right? Like, so yes. let, let's talk a little bit about grief because my assumption is, mm-hmm. you know, we've all, we all have good stories, but you know, one of the things I learned a while back is that as parents, we all mess our kids up in some way, right? Like no yes. matter how much we try to be good, we all have mistakes that we've made, which means it's also true of our parents. And that's not to say they were bad parents. It's not to make them feel guilty or something, but we've all been hurt in some way, right? And, and yes. we have, when we start that process, grief is going to come up. Yeah, yeah. And this is part of um, what I call in the father realm is that we must, bef- we, we must befriend grief. We mm-hmm. must befriend grief um, because what I argue in the book is that the father would not, um, you know, have celebrated so lavishly unless he grieved so deeply. Right. His, he, he says, I thought my son was dead. Now he's alive. And so I argue that we have to enter grief to to embody the father. We have to grieve boldly. And so do you grieve your losses? Do you feel the weight of pain like we talked about earlier? I think that is vital to, to us being successful. Um, I know when we lost our son, um, nine years ago, we closed our private practices down. Um, you know, we were able to get funding to help us travel, um, through Southeast Asia and just grieve and write and write and write. And because we could not function, I couldn't, in a sense, teach, teach, help my clients, um, get a full heart if I had half a heart myself. Right. And so fully grieving, is why I could come back four months later and rebuild a practice and, you know, semi-function semi-normally because I was able to grieve the loss of great love. And we have to grieve to the level in which we love. Was grieving something you had to learn during that time or did you already know how to do it? Yeah, I would say yes. I mean, yes and no, right? Like in a sense, um, I was primed because I had lost a lot in my life, right? I had, I had lost, and yet I've obviously never had lost a son before. Um, and yet we also, our community uh, was such a beautiful example of holding us well. Um, remember that first Sunday they host, we didn't go to church, obviously, and they hosted a breaking ritual, right? It's like, who are these? And they go and they just break stuff in honor of our son, Mm. like breaking glass, breaking, you know, all these different things, breaking stuff and screaming and grieving with us. And so we were held in a community that honored grief as well. And so we taught them and they taught us um, how to grieve boldly. I like that you brought that physical practice into it Mm -hmm. um, because we are post-enlightenment people, right? We live a lot in our heads, Descartes, I think, therefore I am. But there's this physical embodiment and um, outpouring that is a part of our lives and that we ought to bring into grief. You know, one of the big things my wife and I learned, we we experienced two miscarriages um, between Mm. our two sons. And uh, just we're all of a sudden open to the fact that God can take our pain. Like God yes. can take our grief. And I feel a little bit like in this story, I wonder if both, both sons are, they're holding back. And of course we, we, you know, it's a parable, right? These weren't necessarily two literal people, but in the, in the story realm, we can sort of enter into their, their thought processes. Um, you know, I wonder, I wonder what they were scared of in the father, maybe, and, and what we are mm-hmm. scared of, like maybe God can't handle it. So I need to yes. not even just with other people, but I need to 
hide and protect myself from God. Yes. God, God will get angry at me if I'm angry at this situation. Yes. Yes. Well, I think there's this, this fear that we all have is we fear goodness. We fear goodness, which is such an odd concept. What I really want goodness, but you know, um, I don't know if you ever ate at, at Canalis, right? But in Seattle, it's the nicest restaurant in, in Seattle, right? So I never can afford to eat there. But if I eat a filet mignon or, or the duck, you know, from, from there, we'll just go with the filet. If I eat that, I can't go to Dick's Burgers right after and enjoy a Dick's Burger the same way I could before the, before the beautiful filet, right? The $200 mm-hmm. filet mignon. Like, goodness in a sense ruins us right Mm. and so i would rather settle for less love for addiction for pornography than i would the genuine intimacy that is much more terrifying um and much more expensive right like it it costs (laughs) me something Mm. um and so i settle right and i settle for the cheap imitation or i settle for the pig slop um because entry genuine goodness is terrifying Mm. need to sit with that for a second that is something worthy of reflection yes that we are afraid of something that's too good i mean why is that like you said it's going to cost something it's going to mean other things don't mean as much what what is it that that freaks us out so much it invokes desire right it invokes hope i'm terrified to hope Cause then what if I get let down, right? What if, what if I can't deliver? What if I can't love this much? What if, um, I remember a story, um, I'm going through a hard breakup of a girl. I thought I was going to marry in college. And my mentor at the time says, why don't you come move in with me? Um, you know, and me and my family and for the summer and, you know, your plans have changed. And, um, I was like, let me just sit with it for a little bit. I realized how terrified I am as I'm sitting with it. Call him the next day. And I'm just like, I just have a question. And I say out loud, I say, what if you don't love me anymore? And he was like, huh? Like, and then he began to be curious about my question. Yeah. And I realized, what if I move in and you, you no longer love me? What if, what if I do something wrong? Right. And he says this and I'll never forget it. This was, you know, 15 years ago. He says, Andrew, I made up my mind about you a long time ago. Right. Nothing you can do can change how I love, how I care about you. And it was that summer that I actually met my wife, Christy, uh, which is pretty wild. But that summer that I moved in with him in Orlando, Florida um, to, you know, you know, it, it began to change my life to trust that I could not change somebody's love for me. Mm. Even with our mistakes. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. even with the son that runs away, right? It didn't, it didn't mean the father right. led, loved him any less. Right. And that's right. the good he, news of God. Exactly. Yep. He demonstrated in that moment, the father's love towards me. Right. And that was beginning to now, how do I begin to offer that towards myself? And later on in my story, in my life, now I'm able to offer that uh, to myself and extend the kindness to myself in a new way. So we all have this, this, this shame part to us, these parts that we want to protect ourselves from others, seeing mistakes that we've made or things that others have done to us. Um, 
but we can enter into that groove, grief. We're, we're invited home. Let's look at the older brother a little bit. What was yeah. the older brother's struggle? Because it's a little bit different than the younger brother, but he, he's just as lost, it seems. It seems yeah, like. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, this, this, uh, this realm was the hardest for me to write um, because I had so associated with the younger brother because my acting out was so blatant. And yet the elder realm is so, so much more nuanced. And my wife really fits in with this, um, this category. Um, this, this person is motivated by duty rather than desire, right? It's about performance-based gospel, which gives the illusion of control, right? This is the realm that we face our own sense of entitlement, our harsh judgment and contempt towards others, right? Because self-righteousness makes us feel powerful, right? Makes us feel big. Um, but this is a similar journey of escaping pain, like the younger. Um, it's just performed differently, right? This is the person yeah. that goes to church all the time, maybe even reads their Bible every day, but is kind of judging. This is the Pharisees, right? This parable in particular in Luke 15, this was for the Pharisees. Jesus was teaching this, I think, to actually more show the sin of the elder and yet we focus so much on the prodigal son, but this is a sin of the Pharisee, right? This is a sin of judgment, of missing out on the party, right? Because the beauty of the father is that he, inv he invites both to the party. And yet I know I have been the elder brother in my judgment, in my entitlement. I don't deserve this, right? I am good. I am, I am white. I am a man. I'm a whatever, right? That darkness is in me. Um, I am the elder brother at times in my life. Um, and that self-righteousness I have to repent of. And I like that you said, you know, it, it's it, it not to quote you or anything, but it, it seems like then what we're saying is that the older brothers are actions are also a defense mechanism from really being yes. seen. He also is fearful that he can't be loved. Exactly. Yep. He just does it through duty, right? He just, you know, the, the younger son is living more honestly, right? As he's acting out, the elders acting out through performance, through doing in a sense, quote unquote, the right thing, mm. right? But he still misses the entire point, which is to commune with the father. It reminds me a little, I think it's Thich Nhat Hanh who talks about, you know, we're often at war with others when we're first at war in ourselves and, yes, you know, yes. this, this brother casting judgment, I, I think you point out that he mentions prostitutes, but the, the, the mm -hmm. earlier part of the story didn't mention that, right? <laughs> right, right. So we actually think he was with prostitutes. And yet it seems like the brother may have just kind of said that to throw him under the bus. But again, we don't know fully. So, so he's judging, but it's a judgment to protect himself. And, and, and I, I don't know, I think we all can, like you said, they're all in us, you know, maybe asking yeah. ourselves, why do I cast judgment or look down on someone else or think of myself higher? How is that actually yeah. me protecting myself from entering into a fear or a vulnerability or a not wanting exactly. to be seen? Exactly. And that's why I think the father realm is so important because he enters that vulnerability, right? He runs he pulls his, you know, skirt up, exposes his legs, runs towards the sun. Like he is vulnerable through and through. He is showing kind of modeling what it means 
um, for us to enter into, right? The father is demonstrating so many traits that we can begin to integrate within ourselves. So let's talk about some of those then. So we've talked about the two sons. And of Mm -hmm. course, we are just beginning to scratch the surface here, right? Like I I will have a link to the book in the description, friends. I do highly recommend you going into it. We're just kind of starting to get into some of it, hitting it lightly. But we've got these two sons. And I I love that Timothy, Tim Keller calls this the the prodigal God story to make it more about the father even than the sons. Let's start to look at that father them and and what you call the father realm. What are we what are we yes. invited into rather than saying, Oh, this is a, a must I, that word invite. What are, what are we invited into here? Yeah. Well, the first one is, is grief. Like we talked about, so I won't go into that much, but, but the second one is kindness. Um, the father envelops kindness towards both, right? He invites both into the party. Um, and that's where, how can you begin to develop kindness towards your own addictions, right? Towards your own shame, towards your own self-hatred, towards your own judgment, towards your own entitlement, like, right? Kindness towards wherever, whatever realm you are, the father breaks through and he begins to extend that radical kindness for our sin and our failures, right? No longer judging, um, but allows kindness to lead us to restoration and celebration. And that is true for us as well, right? It's what Romans for uh, to God's kindness that leads to repentance, right? So it's kindness that's going to really bring us, not self-hatred. And I grew up Southern Baptist in the South, and that was our favorite, was to just beat the crap out of ourselves, mm-hmm. in, in a sense, to make it look like humility. And yet that only led um, to more of my own self-hatred and actually more addiction. Mm. I think that's an important word because kindness can also be a difficult thing to accept when we don't see ourselves as worthy. If we have made a mistake or others have told us we're not worthy. Uh, Dan Allender one time had a sermon uh, called suffer the kindness, you know, because, because kindness will sometimes cause us to suffer because someone sees us in our vulnerability and offers love. And, you know, in this story, God is clearly the father, but what I like that you're doing is inviting us to see that same kindness in ourselves for ourselves, like to see it from God, but also to embody it ourselves. And that may even cause us to suffer a little bit because we then have to be vulnerable. However weird it sounds with ourselves too. We have to be honest. Right. Well, I, I think we're really conditioned into thinking kindness somehow will lead us to be prideful and and when we, when we actually have a healthy view of ourselves, right, I'm actually never too prideful, right, because I know my depravity. I know my darkness. But then on the flip side, I can never be, you know, too prideful, right? I never can be too, uh, flip side would be I never can beat myself up because I know I'm an image bearer of God. I never can be too self-contemptuous, right? And so it's holding that middle space um, that I think is the healthy way to live is, is yeah, never going to one extreme or the other because both are sinful. Yeah, I like, I like you say at one point, you said wholeness cannot exist with what remains hidden within ourselves. And mm-hmm. the truth is God already sees it, right? Like we can't, we yes. can't hide it. So it already has light being shined on it, however much we want to ignore it. But if we are stumbling toward this wholeness, 
the best thing we can do is bring those things to the light, um, like safely, of course, Um, you know, we can't just dump everything on everyone, but we have to be honest with ourselves, learn to know God's love for us. But what does the role of community play in this? Where do we invite others into this space? Because I don't think we're meant to go through this alone, right? Yeah, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I think entering into all this, but in that authentic way, is vital and we need people to help see our face right i think as dan i never have actually val uh, you know made this claim uh, validated this claim but i remember dan allender saying 80 percent of our face is uh we could don't control or something you know like the nerve endings or something in our face so, so we need others to be able to read our own face <laughs> Right. And it's just like, yes, yes, we need others to read our face, to to see our face because we cannot see our own face, our own image clearly. Right. And so we have to have go through this journey um, with others. Um, and, and that's why I think this book can really help groups go go through it together to be honest um, with their own journey, um, with where they're at, what realm they're in. Um, so, yeah, that, that is key. Yeah. So here at Rua Space, you know, we teach and guide a lot of spiritual discipline formation type practices. And so I really liked, you know, the mentioning of the breaking things with grief. But I also really appreciated at one point in the book, you talked about the role of silence. What is it about mm-hmm. silence that brings these things to the surface? How can someone who is entering into a space of silence, what, how might that shape mm-hmm. this aspect of their lives? Yeah, I mean right it's so noisy it's so everything's so loud and so i think silence exposes if we let it right the silence exposes and we need to be exposed with kindness we need to be exposed so we can truly dig into what is most true um, and how we can we can see god more fully through that silent place i think it's revealed what other practices might you recommend for people to explore these aspects of themselves like because this has been you know we've gone very very fast covered a lot Mm -hmm. people might be like whoa where you know where do i go like where would you recommend someone start with this what what is step one maybe even if to be so bold what is step two how do we begin to walk yeah for sure for sure well i mean i i kind of like you know the way i operate is more kind of um the the blow it up method which is just like just, just go for it. You know, <laughs> yeah. what is it? If you're terrified of silence, then you probably need to go into the wilderness alone. Like you actually need to go. Um, I remember one time I'm walking, you know, it's so weird. Even though it was 20 years ago, I still remember it so clearly. I'm walking into the woods in the middle of the night, um, probably 10, probably 10 PM. And I'm walking up this mountain and there's this, this hole of rhododendron. So it's really thick. And it's just this black hole. And I like pull out my knife and I'm like, just swing. I'm, I am imagining that I'm fighting evil because I feel this deep fear come over me as I walk into this black hole and I just swing in my knife, like acting like I'm, you know, fighting evil. And I'm just like, like I was terrified and yet I'm going to move forward because I feel like I need to be in the woods tonight. I need to face fear. I don't know why it feels like some spiritual, you know, something there God was teaching me. But will you press into your fear? Will you follow? If you're scared of silence, you need to lean into silence. And silence doesn't just mean, well, I'm not going to turn the radio on my way to work. No, it, it means actually 
being in a place where you can contemplate, where you can write, where you can taste, see, feel, smell God. Mm. That's that's a really good word. It, it it seems that all of this is sort of revolving around the need to enter, right? Like what we started with, enter to that interior space of the fact yes. that God is with us through Christ, the Holy Spirit is, indwells us, that we just can't run away through our shame, through our fear, through our judgment, all these different ways that we try to not feel, not enter into our story, not engage who we really are. It seems like however we can enter into our more true selves and wrestle with what's there, that's where life is found. Well said. Yes. Well, Andrew, you know, we are coming up on 40 minutes and I want to honor your time. And so I'm grateful for the the spaces that we've gone. And again, we've only scratched the surface, but what is maybe an encouragement or a challenge you would lead people with when it comes to exploring these aspects of our lives and stumbling toward wholeness? Yes, yes. May, May you have the courage to radically love yourself as much as God does. Mm. Amen. Absolutely. Well, Andrew, where can people go deeper with you, find the work that you've done and everything that you're up to now? Yeah, you can find, find uh, social media, Facebook, um, also uh, www.christiancc.org, um, andrewjbauman.com. Those are two places. But um, yeah, we run the Christian Counseling Center for Sexual Health and Trauma. And yeah, come, come see us for a group or an intensive. And Appreciate your time, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks. It's an honor. Really appreciate it. And uh, blessings as you continue stumbling toward wholeness. Yes, amen. Hey, friends, Phil here again. Thank you so much for being with us here today. I do highly recommend checking out some of the links below to go deeper with Andrew's work. And I especially recommend his book, Stumbling Toward Wholeness. I also recommend check out some of those other links to what we are up to here at Rua Space, everything from spiritual direction and Patreon to our Christian yoga channel on YouTube and our memberships with guided practices to help you deepen your relationship with God. Thanks again, friends, and until next time, grace and peace be with you.